All right, well, thank you for, for being here and gathering together for worship this evening. I thank you the children's choirs for leading us uh, already tonight. For the past several weeks, and almost going on to a month now, we have been focusing on caring for the needy. We have done this uh, series on Sunday evenings when we've been talking about caring for the needy and the needs of people around the world. We've done a, a Sunday school series uh, now, and then we've had the, the Reach 82 uh, series, uh, the Reach 82 ministry that we highlighted uh, last Sunday. And if you were here, uh, you know the sanctuary looks a lot different uh, now than it did uh, then. We don't have a bunch of old barn lumber uh, that's piled up everywhere. Uh, this, uh, to be honest, this has been kind of a difficult past few weeks. Uh, physically, this has been a difficult past few weeks uh, because I didn't realize how much work that it took to rip down a barn, put a barn up in here, and then move a barn out inside somebody's barn. Uh, so it's been, uh, it's been a little bit interesting. I think there have been a few times uh, where Todd and I just about died uh, trying to get all this taken care of. We, uh, we talked to Arthur uh, Crawford about tearing down one of his old barns. Well, he didn't tell us that it's a death trap uh, and we might die while we're working on it. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if maybe he was trying to knock us off or what it was. Uh, we got on top of this barn and inside it is, I don't know how they packed all these cows in there, uh, but there's 20 cows inside this little barn. Uh, but, they, but in this barn, they just stand there and they do their business inside this barn. And so at the bottom of this barn is at least like three feet of just pure nastiness. And so, but we're standing on top of the barn looking down into it. And there's these old 50-year-old boards that are kind of sag as we, you know, as we walk on it. So you know, we're kind of joking back and forth that if one of us falls in there, we're just done. Just stick a little cross there wherever we fell. And then please tell my son that I died some better way than drowning in cow manure. <laughs> Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a wild couple of weeks, and then uh, it, it just so happens that, and Todd will confess this too, we're, we've got a little bit of redneck in us, and so I managed to get my, my Jeep hung up in cow manure, and so we're trying to pull out a, a, a fully loaded trailer with the Jeep, you know, spinning cow manure everywhere, and so, and so Todd says, turn your hat backwards and gun it real hard, and it'll get out, <laughs> So it's just, it was not working. We had two copperheads that tried to chase us and kill us and bees flying around. So it was just kind of a, uh, kind of a wild, um, wild couple weeks trying to get all this taken care of. Uh, so we were kind of tired uh, from all that. But, but really the difficult, the difficult part of it I don't think was, was all the work. I think some of the difficulty that comes in this Reach 82 ministry is just, is just seeing the needs that are out there. And I don't know about you, but, but just hearing of some of the needs that are out there and thinking about some of the kids especially, uh, it's difficult to hear, difficult to think about. I mean, how many of us could, could actually hear statistics like 5,000 children die every day just because of, uh, of diarrhea? How many, could, how many of us can hear that and not be troubled inside? And how many of us can hear about uh, children and and young girls being trafficked and not have our hearts just torn out of our chest uh, from that. And, and seeing the, this hut here uh, that was Compassion International and seeing that and the condition that, that so many kids live in and, and just thinking about the plot of so many, how many of us just, just weren't hurt by that and thinking about that? And, and so tonight, you know, we've, we've gone through all that and we, we've thought through so many different 
different and difficult things, I want us maybe to take just a little bit of a break from that and maybe segue into something that, that can maybe set our hearts on, on a, a kind of a joyful thought uh, as, as we kind of move through this passage that we're going to be talking about. I don't want us to forget about the Reach 82 ministry. I hope that you'll keep that in your hearts and your minds as you think about how you can care for those in need. But tonight I want us to turn to Isaiah 59. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 59. And we're going to work through this passage. And this will eventually get to be something that I think that will be turn into a joyful uh, note for us as we work through this. Isaiah 59, we're going to start at, at verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, I said we're going to kind of move toward a joyful note, and that doesn't really sound all that joyful to start out with. Your sins have separated you from God, and you can't see his face. That's not really an exciting thing to think about, uh, first off. But as we move through this passage, we're going to, we're going to move to something that, that I think will, will set our hearts in joy, Think about what God ha- has done in our lives. So <clears throat> we're going to look through, look through this passage and we're going to examine a few things uh, in this. And this really picks up uh, where we looked at a few weeks ago in Isaiah 58. And Isaiah 58 is a passage that the, the people of Israel have been doing all these religious exercises, and they have been doing their sacrifices, and they've been fasting, and, and they're wondering why God is not responding to them. And in this passage in Isaiah 58, God res- looks down at them and says, Look, you're doing all these religious things, but let me tell you what I really want. I want your hearts turned toward me. And and I want you to do fasting that includes caring for those in need. The fasting that I desire is for you to to loose the bonds of of slavery and the yoke that is upon so many different people. And and so this Isaiah 59 really picks up uh, following uh, that passage. And so as we look through this, the first thing that we want to see in Isaiah 59 is that there's a separation. So take note of that. There's a separation uh, that's involved here in Isaiah 59. Listen again. I'm going to pick up at verse 1, and we'll read through a couple verses. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Remember, the people have been doing all these religious activities to think that God will hear them and respond to them because they're doing religious activities. And so they've been doing all this, and now God's not responding to them. And so they are wondering, is God's hand too short to be able to save us? Is God's hearing so dull that he can't hear us as we're praying to him? And Isaiah answers that question for them and points out to them, the problem isn't with God, the problem is with you. That's where the problem lies. And so he points out, it's your iniquities that have separated you from God. And it's your iniquities that have have piled on and made this separation. The the only other time that this phrase, separation here, the only other time that's used is in Genesis 1-6, when it talks about how the... um, the, the waters above and the waters are below are separated by the firmament. They're, they're completely separated. And, and so we get that kind of picture here, that the people are completely, entirely separated. There's a wide gulf, a chasm that's fixed so that they are not near to God. And then Isaiah uses this really powerful phrase to talk about their separation. He says there in verse 2 is that his, his face has been hidden from you. 
His face has been hidden from you. That's kind of an intimate picture. Now, whenever, whenever you look at somebody, you, you look at their face because there's intimacy in, in that kind of connection. When I, when I talk to Jen, I, I stare her in the face, and I, I, want, to, I want to look into her face. Uh, when, when I look at Caleb, you know, my little six-week-old son, he, he will stare into my face now and, and I kind of just look and stare at him and, and there's this kind of connection that is there and being able to look in his eyes and his eyes kind of track me and are fixed and are held onto me but Isaiah says that, that's not there for you that possibility isn't there because your iniquities have separated from you, God, you from God there is no kind of intimacy that's involved there you cannot see God face to face like that, that that's not there and then Isaiah goes in and launches this, this kind of vivid description of, of the sin of the people, picking up in verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. It's kind of this repetition uh, of things going on it, it, that the, the people have been doing. Do you all remember in your Sunday school lesson this morning when we were talking about Psalms, you, you, you mentioned about poetry. Remember talking about that in your Sunday school class, hopefully? Maybe a nod or two? All right, good. We did have a couple of people that talked about that. Uh, a lot of times in Hebrew poetry, which this is poetry, the same idea is repeated in a different line, uh, in the next line, kind of in a different way. And so that's what's taking place here in verse 3. Your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity. Kind of that, that repetition of the same idea. Your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. The people are, are full of wickedness. And this blood that's on their hands, this goes back to Isaiah 58, where they're not caring for the needy. They're oppressing the poor around them. And so Isaiah is saying, look, your hands are filled with blood. You not see the iniquity that's upon you. Now, notice something that happens next. Listen to the, the switch uh, that goes on in, in verse 4. No one sues righteously and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief, mischief and bring forth iniquity. All right, it, it's time for a little grammar. So remember back to your grammar lessons and, and thinking about how you conjugate words and all this kind of stuff. All right, look at verse 2. What person is that? We have first person, second person, and third person. Does anybody... Anybody want to step out and say what person that is speaking in? First person, second person, third person? It says you. What is you? Is that first or second or third? Second person. There we go. We've got a, uh, got a literary scholar back there who jumped out and said second person, saying you. You have your sins, your iniquities have separated you from God. Now it switches over to saying they. What person is that? Anybody? Third person. All right, there we go. Now you're remembering some of your lessons that you had years ago. All right, he switches from second person. You all have these sins. Now he broadens out and says, they, they have these sins. No one sues righteously. No one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion. They speak lies. They conceive, conceive mischief. They bring forth iniquity. There's this picture that he's bringing out here that totally flips everything upside down. Normally, when, when we think of, of life and birth, we think of, we think of joy, right? We think of, of excitement and, and, and happiness. And I remember when Caleb was born, a lot of my, a lot of my thoughts are, are around Caleb now. He's, you know, first-time father, and, you know, Caleb, he's six weeks old, great times with him. But, but I remember when Jen told me that she was pregnant. That was, that was a joyful, exciting time, because I knew nine months down the road that there was going to be that baby boy or a baby. I didn't know what it was going to be at that point. 
Then a few, a few months later, we, we were able, and we had this, uh, the ultrasound they did, and we were able to, to find out he was a boy. And I can remember staring at that screen and being excited, just being there with Jen, holding her hands, and, it's going to be a boy. You know, exciting times. And then when he was born, and, and I, I remember Jen's face the first time that she held Caleb, and it was like, <gasps> I mean, it was just like this picture of just complete excitement and, and joy. And, and that's what we think of with the birth of a child. But what does Isaiah talk about here? Look at the picture that, that, he is, that he is bringing forth here. What does it say in verse 4? They conceive mischief. They bring forth iniquity. This, picture, this birth language. Bring forth iniquity. Isaiah is pointing out here and saying, look, from, from the depths of their being, the core of who they are, they, they are, they are sinners. And, and what they're bringing forth out of their sinful nature of who they are is this iniquity and, and horror of what they're bringing forth. And listen to the description of what they bring forth. In verse 5, it says they hatch adder's eggs. Adder's a, a viper, a venomous snake. And so they're bringing forth from themselves these venomous snakes. And what does a venomous snake do? It bites, kills. They're bringing forth spider's web. And a spider's web entangles and, and snags and, and wraps, wraps up a fly so that the fly is, is killed. And these, these images of, of these horrific things, what they're bringing forth from their life. Because their sinful nature, they're sinners by nature and they're bringing forth sin because of their sinful nature. Listen to what it goes on to say about what they're doing. In, in verse 7, it says their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. It's as if they are intently planning and, and running toward doing evil. It's not just that they're occasionally bringing it forth, but it says there that their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. It's like they're, the picture here in the Hebrew is of them scheming, planning, to do wrong and to oppress and to do evil and to, to, to run toward that which is evil and that which is wrong. We're getting this horrible picture of these people that Isaiah are, is talking about. It says they do not know the way of peace. There is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads with them does not know peace. <clears throat> now look at those verses again, verse 8 and 9. There's kind of a phrase and an idea that's repeated in those. Uh, notice verse 8 talks about a highway. Or verse 7, a highway. Verse 8, the way of peace. There's, they, there's no justice in their tracks. They've made their paths crooked and treading on them. They do not know peace. See that idea of, of kind of a path or a track or a highway that keeps getting repeated in this passage right here? Well, Isaiah in a previous chapter has said there's a particular highway that they're to be on. Back in Isaiah uh, 30. Um, it's Isaiah 35, I believe, that Isaiah points out and, and says that they are to be on, Isaiah 35, 8, God's prepared a way of holiness for them to be on. You are God's people, God's chosen group of people, and he has prepared for you to be on a way of holiness, living in righteousness, pleasing him. But what's the way that you're on? You're on a way that leads to destruction. You're on a way of unrighteousness, a way of iniquity, a way of sin, a way of devastation, a way of destruction. You hear the, this horrible description of these people that he's talking about. Now move on down. Move on down to verse 9 and verse 10. Therefore, justice is far from us. 
Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but hold darkness for brightness. We walk in the gloom. What's he switched to there? What person is he talking in now? He was in second. Now he's moved to third. And what's he, what person is we, is us? First person. He's gone from talking about you who are in iniquity to they who are in iniquity. And now he says, it's all of us. It's me too. There's no one exempt from this picture that he is putting forth listen to what he says verse 10 we grope along the wall like blind men we grope like those who have no eyes we stumble at midday as in the twilight among those who are vigorous we are like dead men the glory of God is shining forth all around us creation is crying out for a creator creation is crying out the holy one and only God but we are blind to see that truth and we are groping around in our way leading to destruction, to to sin on this path of unrighteousness that we are walking on. And Isaiah said, it's not just you, it's not just they, but it's me. It's every single one of us. Isaiah said, it it was you who are separated. It's they who are separated. It's all of us all of us who are separated because of our iniquity. Uh, a theologian by, uh, by the name of John Oswald writes, this confession is one of a person who has reflected deeply on the human condition. This is not a little regret over a few unfortunate slip-ups. Rather, it's a recognition of the profound incapacity of all humans to live for the justice and righteousness that God has called us to. This is everybody, bar none. Prior to Christ, this is me. This is you. Every single person who has ever lived on that way of destruction, on that way of iniquity, entirely separated from God. And he says, verse 12, our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. We know our iniquities. We're separated from you. We're separated. There's, there's nothing we can do. Isaiah says, what hope, what hope do we have? Because we're separated. There's, there's not a thing that I can do. And people for thousands of years have been trying to figure out what is it that we can do? What's the problem and how can we fix that? They've been writing and trying to solve this problem forever. Communism says the, the, the world's problem is just that the rich have too much and we need to, to spread that out. Some people say ignorance is the problem. If we'll just educate people enough, then then the world's problems will be solved. Isaiah says, no, you don't understand. The problem isn't without. The problem isn't your knowledge. The problem is in you. The problem is your own sinful nature, and there's not a thing you can do about it. But Isaiah doesn't leave us in despair. Isaiah doesn't leave us hopeless here. And this... This is where we get to the joy. This is where we get to the excitement. Because we've seen that there's a separation. But thanks be to God, there's a Savior. There's a Savior. Listen to what he starts writing in, in verse 16. We saw, he saw, speaking of God, he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then he, then his own arm brought salvation to him. 
His righteousness upheld him. He put on a right, on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. We can walk through all of Isaiah 59 and say, this is me. We can walk through it and say uh, that my iniquities have made a separation between me and God. My hands are defiled with blood. My hands have iniquity. My my spirit, the, the depths of who I am, is conceived mistress and brought forth iniquity. Uh, I grope through darkness and not seeing the truth. And my, my feet have run to evil. My thoughts have been thoughts of iniquity. I have transgressed. My transgressions have multiplied before you. Truth is lacking in me. In verse 15, we can say all this is true about our lives. But then we can come to the truth that's here in Isaiah 59, 16, and 17 that God did not leave us in the state that we were in totally separated from him. I want you to see this picture that we get of God right here. This to me is one of the, one of the most powerful, amazing pictures of salvation that God brings to his people. Listen to what it says. It describes God as a warrior. This picture of the, of the warrior God who comes down to earth. He put on righteousness like a, a breastplate, that he has the armor of a warrior, but that armor is righteousness. He has the helmet of a warrior, but that helmet is salvation. He has the, the garments wrapped around him of, of a warrior, but those garments are vengeance. He has a, a mantle wrapped around him, a cloak wrapped around him, but that cloak is the, the mantle of zeal of a warrior. Now listen Listen to what this warrior God does. This is, this is a powerful picture. Notice, he's not carrying any weapons there. It doesn't say that he's carrying a sword or that he's carrying a mace or a bow and an arrow or anything like that. God is coming not to deal with human enemies. God is coming to deal with sin once and for all. John Oswald, this theologian I read earlier, this is what he says. What God is really defeating is sin itself as it reigns in his people. He's not coming here to vindicate the righteous. No, he has come to do what the people, the sinners and righteous alike, cannot do, and namely defeat the power of evil in their lives. We have a picture of the warrior God coming to take those who are separated from himself, who are groping in darkness, who are vile in their thoughts, who are producing iniquity and mischief by the very nature of who they are, and he is coming and saying, this is my people, I have chosen them for myself, and I am going to deal with their sin once and for all. We are getting a picture here of the coming Redeemer who is coming to deal with my sin and with your sin once and for all. We know who this Redeemer is. It's Christ the King. In Revelation, we get this picture of, of Christ being called two things. He's the lion and he's the lamb. The lamb who is slain. We're getting a picture here of the lion, of the godly king who is coming to deal with what needs to be dealt with and doing battle against sin. You remember Genesis 3.15, what it says, what, what is God going to do to the, to the serpent, to Satan, he is going to crush his head. And we have the picture of the warrior here crushing the head of Satan. What a powerful picture. What a powerful picture that's here. Listen to verse 21. This, this, is, this is what's happened for those of us who know him. A new covenant. 
As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you, my words which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, for now and forevermore. You're mine. I've dealt with your sin. You belong to me. My spirit indwells you forever, from now and forevermore. What a joyful picture. What a picture. We see here our greatest need has been met. Separate from God, no hope for ourselves, but the king has taken care of the sin. This passage really starts out kind of depressing for us. You're separated from God, but ends on, on a beautiful picture. God dealing with that which we could not deal with. So tonight, just a few things that I want you to pull from this. Your sins have been dealt with if you're a child of God. If you're regenerate, if you've been converted, rejoice. Rejoice in what God has done. When we're gathered here, sing those songs with joy and exuberance because, yes, he has dealt with your sin once and for all. As you're going throughout your week, remember this truth. Dwell upon it. Once and for all, he has dealt with it. The warrior king has taken care of it. So rejoice. The second, remember that, that this good news has to go to all the earth. Verse 19 says, They will fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun. Where does the sun rise? The east. All across. All across this world. And so, this good news has to go out. There are many thousands, thousands of people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus. Thousands of people groups who, who don't even have real access to Scripture. The task isn't completed. We have the good news, but... We need to be about taking that good news. Are you doing that? Are we taking that good news? If you're not involved in the ministry to Peru, talk to Todd. He'll find a way for you to be involved. You can go. Taking the gospel to the nations. And the last thing I just want to point out is that the sin of Israel that we see here, the sin of Israel in context is a lot to deal with failing to care for those in need. So we've had this Reach 82 ministry. I encourage you, don't forget about it. You've taken probably some brochures home. Uh, you've learned about Perm and Compassion International and, and lots of these different ministries. Don't let those brochures just sit on your table. Don't have gone through everything that's here and then just forget about it. People of Israel, they forgot. They, they didn't pay attention. They didn't care about the needy around them. And we see how God describes it. Don't forget about what we've studied, what we've learned. Put that into practice. Reach out. Meet the needs of kids, of people around the world who are in, in desperate need. I, I want to just close just by reading these verses again. And I'll pray and then we'll be done. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, adversaries rec recompense to his enemies. 
to the coastlands he will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. He will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. A redeemer will come to Zion as those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you, my words which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. Let's pray. God, we give thanks to you for this truth, that you that you have done what we can't, and that's deal with our sin. Let us not forget that. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in that truth and have joy in the work that you've done in us. God, may you go with us this week and may we be pleasing to you. May we take the gospel to those around us. May we not forget the needy around us and around the world. May we rejoice in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You have a great